What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to Blizzone's podcast, filled to the brim with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so cold that they're boiling hot. Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Check out their website for online deals for both takeout and delivery. Right now, they've got an awesome deal. Get a large one-topping pizza for just $7.99. Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about one of the single greatest achievements in basketball history. Yes, LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the all-time points list for the regular season. Now, look, I know a lot of my listeners are not huge fans of LeBron, but it would be irresponsible as your podcast host if I didn't take the time to appreciate this pure, unadulterated greatness. 38,390 points in the regular season and counting. By the end of his career, LeBron is going to be first in points, top five in assists, top 10 in steals, and top 25 in rebounds. Not to mention he's also top five in triple doubles just in the regular season. But more importantly, he's going to be first in scoring, second in assists, first in steals, first in triple doubles, and top 10 in rebounds in the playoffs. LeBron's greatness has stretched far longer than any NBA players has and probably ever will. For 20 years now, LeBron has been the face of the NBA and he's brought nothing but his best to the game for his entire time wearing a Cavaliers jersey, a Miami Heat jersey, a Cavaliers jersey again, and now a Los Angeles Lakers jersey. I hope he plays for another five years because the NBA just won't be the same without him. Congratulations to LeBron James. Now in other news, LeBron's former teammate Kyrie Irving has now been traded to the Dallas Mavericks after demanding a trade from the Brooklyn Nets last week. Now the trade involves sending Kyrie Irving, Markeith Morris, in exchange for the Mavericks players Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith Jr., as well as a first-round pick and two second-round picks. Now, who won this trade? In my mind, neither team won this trade. The Mavericks traded for Kyrie, who is and has been unreliable for the past five years since he left Cleveland. Since that time, Kyrie has managed to leave LeBron and Kevin Love in their prime. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in Boston before they blew up on the scene. And over the last couple of years, he's teamed up with Kevin Durant and James Harden, basically pushed James Harden out of town according to a lot of reports. Now he's leaving Kevin Durant, someone that Kyrie just said he would never leave. Now, it's not that I don't like Kyrie or think anything negative about him, but he's proven over and over and over again over this five-year stretch that he is not reliable And I don't think that he's a good fit for this Dallas Mavericks team. Now, look, there's only one basketball on the floor. I think you all know that. Both Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic are top 25 in the league in active usage rate and touches per game. It's going to be extremely hard to play winning basketball, similar to when Russell Westbrook and James Harden teamed up in Houston. I don't think the Mavericks will make the conference finals, but the number one thing they have to do to even think about broaching that subject of maybe reaching the conference finals is getting Kyrie and Luka Doncic on the floor together as much as possible. Now, I saw a reporter on ESPN and actually Fox Sports 1 that said that Kyrie could turn into a spot-up shooter, and that is a shame 
to his career and who he is as a person. Kyrie is the most talented dribbler in NBA history, the most talented shot creator of this generation. His skill set at every single level of the floor, whether that's under the basket, in the post, mid-range, or three, is almost unlike any other that we've seen throughout the 2010s and now 2020s. Kyrie should be the primary ball handler, but Luka Doncic is probably the best or second best player in the league right now. So I understand that perspective. Now, looking at it from the Brooklyn Nets perspective, I don't know if this was a win. You took away Kevin Durant, one of his best friends, that you traded him away, and you got back a lesser version of Kyrie, three draft picks, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Now look, Kevin Durant, his championship window has closed probably closed four years too early because he decided to leave the Warriors. But I don't think this trade is good for Brooklyn. They gave away a good role piece in Markeith Morris, and they gave away an absolute superstar, and they didn't get back what they were supposed to get back. They should have somehow locked down a max contract for him and then tried to move him. But I understand the tough situation that they were put into. Kyrie Irving has been nothing but a problem for Brooklyn since he got there. So at minimum, they've gotten rid of the main problem that they've had and now they can see where they want to go moving forward. Now, outside of the Kyrie trade, the trade deadline you know, has been really active over the last few years, but this year it's been quiet. The next two biggest trades are Ruby Hachimura to the Lakers and Dwayne Dedman to the Spurs. Now, this tells me one important thing. Both conferences are wide open, and teams are confident in their chances and are doubling down on the current talent on their rosters. Now, the East has the Celtics, Bucks, 76ers, and Cavaliers that are serious contenders. Now, while in the West, it's literally anyone's show, and there are so many different outcomes. Is Nikola Jokic or Luka Doncic going to finally have their solo year and win a ring? Can John Morant stop having his friends point guns at the Indiana Pacers bus and actually just play some basketball? Will the Sacramento Kings light the beam in the playoffs? Will the Los Angeles Clippers or the Golden State Warriors finally stay healthy enough to show their full strength this year? Is this Chris Paul's last run at a ring? Can Zion come back and show that he's a top five player in the league without getting injured? That's 11 major storylines that we can follow in both conferences. Those 11 teams have winning basketball cultures. Now, For modern NBA, that's extremely rare and unheard of. I personally love the parity in the league right now. It's fun to see regular season games matter. And it's fun to see rivalries like the Warriors versus the Grizzlies arise from the competition in this regular season. I mean, you got to think, last night, the Lakers versus Oklahoma City, that game would have meant nothing if not for LeBron's breaking of the point record. I think it's awesome that there are so many different spotlights on the NBA this season. Now, the MVP race is one of them. The race is so unbelievably close, and the narratives behind all of them capture the importance of these head-to-head matchups that these players are having. Can Nikola Jokic win three straight MVPs and join Larry Bird as the only other player to ever do so? Can Joel Embiid stay healthy and play winning basketball with or without his co-stars in Philly? Can Giannis Antetokounmpo continue his level of dominance and recapture his crown as the undisputed best player in basketball? Now, I don't think we're appreciating enough the level of diverse competition that we're seeing in the NBA right now. No one, and I mean no one, is a lock 
There's no super teams, just a lot of good basketball teams trying to be great and win a championship. As a diehard NBA fan, I try to watch something in the NBA on a night in and night out basis. And right now, it's really easy to do that because the content is endless. Now, moving on from that little rant, tonight we've got the locks. I've gotten the call from the NCAA president. I've got the script. And then I got a special phone call from the NBA officials. They've also given me the script for tonight's games. Let's get into it. First, college basketball. These are some safe plays, but we're parlaying it up. First up, Bama, Moneyline versus Florida. Alabama is 10-0 in the SEC. Florida is not the giant slayer that people think they are. Now, they beat Tennessee at home. Congrats, but they're on the road. Colin Castleton, their best player, is going to have a very tough night in transition. He plays a very slow half-court game. But guess what? In the half-court, Alabama plays extremely physical. Brandon Miller is on an absolute tear this season, and it's not going to stop tonight at home where he's averaging 20 points per game. Next up, Tennessee Moneyline versus Vanderbilt. This is another complete and utter give-me game. Yes, Tennessee struggled in their last two games, but they were self-inflicted wounds of which they're going to correct tonight. Vanderbilt is 1-4 and four against top 25 teams and have lost three of their last four. Tennessee's roster is way too veteran and has way too much all-around play to be phased by a mid-tier SEC basketball crowd. Give me Tennessee money line. I don't care that they're on the road. Third, Oklahoma State money line versus Texas Tech. Oklahoma State had some struggles in the Big 12 at first, but since losing to Baylor, they are 5-1 and one and they are a wagon. Meanwhile, Texas Tech opened up Big 12 play 0-8, and they are 1-5 on the road total this year. Now, look, they have won a couple of games. Now, they've gotten a gimme game against LSU, who's one of the worst teams in Power 5 basketball, and they snuck out a home win in overtime against Iowa State, who was up by 23 at one point. But I still have faith. Oklahoma State is going to win this game. Fourth on the list. Baylor Moneyline versus Oklahoma. Baylor is a top 25 team putting together a very impressive conference record that is becoming more and more dominant. They have four players that average double digits in scoring. This is going to be a barn burner shootout, but I believe that Baylor can easily get it done. Give me the money line. Fifth, we're going deep into some college basketball. Now, we rode this wagon last week. Samford money line versus Mercer. Like I said, Samford equals wagon. We're doing it again. The best offense in the Southern Conference. This is going to be a blowout extremely quickly. Now, Samford is 10 and 2 in the conference, and Mercer is 5 and 7. So when you look at those and you think, oh, I don't know, like it's really deep in there. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Well, guess what? Mercer is at home, yes, but they have five conference wins against teams with a combined 10-27 and 27 record. They have yet to beat a conference team above 500. I seriously doubt that that's going to be tonight. Sanford has one of the best offenses, not in just their conference, but in the entire NCAA. We're riding it. Let's go Bulldogs. Shout out to Birmingham, Alabama. And last but not least, in this six-team parlay, LSU, Mississippi State, we're riding with some more Bulldogs. Give me Mississippi State money line. 
LSU is the worst team in SEC, and they might just be the worst team in Power 5 basketball. They're 0-10 in their last 10, and they're winless on the road this year. Mississippi State is 3-7 in the conference. That gives a lot of people the scares. But five of those seven losses come against top 25 teams. Two against Alabama, two against Tennessee. They've won three straight, and they beat top 25 TCU. The Bulldogs are about to get on a roll. All of these games combined, six teams, Alabama money line, Tennessee money line, Oklahoma State money line, Baylor money line, Sanford money line, and Mississippi State money line. All of these together give us plus 317, and to me, this is a lock. Let's ride. Now onto the NBA. We're making this not just a lock. We're making this a safe lock, something that's not going to get broken into, and we're going to lay up some straight bets for you. Wizards minus four versus the Hornets. The Hornets are 8-23 and 23 on the road, and they're on a four-game skid. Kyle Kuzma and Chris Tapp's Porzingis size is going to be absolutely unmatched by the Hornets. I think this is going to be a blowout. Minus four is way too small. If I was feeling risky, I'd go minus seven, minus eight. Joel Embiid over 45.5 points, rebounds, and assists. This is a primetime game. And guess who shows up in primetime games? Embiid. He trusts the process. The 76ers are 19-4 in their last 23 because he's averaging over 30 points per game, 10 rebounds a game, and 2 blocks a game. I think this is going to be an absolute showdown between him and Jason Tatum for who's one of the best players in the East. And he's going to slam this line home. 45.5 is way too small. Give it to me. Last but not least in the NBA lay, Warriors and Trailblazers over 234.5 points total. The Warriors give up 118 points per game, and it's even worse on the road. They're also second in the league in points per game, scoring 118 as well. And Klay Thompson has been on an absolute tear in Stephen Curry's absence this season. All of that combined is plus 579, so get ready to take your wife, your girlfriend, your fiancé, or maybe even your boys out for a lovely steak dinner on Valentine's Day. Let's lock it in. And that is going to do it for this episode of Plaisance Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.